70 years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. Throughout the year, we celebrate the 70th anniversary of KBS World Radio with the voices of our listeners from all over the world. Hello, my name is Bernd Seiser. Seit 1974 Hello, my name is Bünd Seiser. I've been listening to shortwave radio since 1974 and to KBS World Radio's German service from its day one, May 1st, 1981. I have also been serving as an official monitor since 2003. Congratulations on the 70th anniversary and I hope to catch the German broadcast on 3955 kHz for many years to come. I will look forward to keeping myself updated with useful information about Korea through the channel. My favourite programme is Magazine K. I'd like to take this opportunity to thank the two hosts of the show. Once again, happy 70th birthday. This has been Bernd Seiser from Ottenau, Germany. Seventy years with KBS World Radio, 70 years of global Korea. KBS World Radio brings Korea to you wherever you are. Friday, the 17th of November, and welcome to Korea 24 on KBS World Radio. I'm your host, Koo Hee Jin, filling in for Kwon Jang Ho. Speaking for the first time at the Asia Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit Thursday, President Yoon Seo Yeol issued a call for a carbon free alliance. We'll have more in our news briefing shortly. And coming up on our in-depth today, we'll discuss the results of the summit talks between US President Joe Biden and Chinese leader Xi Jinping and the prospect of relations between the two countries. And later, for our movie spotlight, we'll review two Korean films, Birth and Flowers of Mold. Let's begin. Korea 24. President Yoon Seok-yeol addressed the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit for the first time on Thursday. He proposed a carbon-free alliance and an APEC initiative on smart mobility and held summit talks with several leaders on the sidelines. For more on this, as well as our other headlines of the day, we have with us in the studio our KBS World Radio News Editor, Daniel Che. Hello, Daniel. Hello there, Hyejin. Good to be here with you. Good to have you. And President Yoon pledged South Korea will play a leading role in the expansion of global carbon-free energy as he urged member states to collaborate on the effort. Now, do give us the details. Yes, in his first address to the APEC summit in San Francisco on Thursday, Yoon highlighted the climate crisis as the most pressing challenge in establishing a sustainable future for humanity. Reiterating his earlier proposal to form a carbon-free alliance, or CFA, at the UN General Assembly in September, the president said Seoul is seeking to push for a transition to a clean energy system along with APEC members. The South Korean government launched the alliance last month as a government-civilian consultative body to expand the usage of renewable energy as mm-hmm. well as 
zero carbon energy like hydrogen power. Mm-hmm. Yun also suggested a transition to green transportation and establishing a special APEC initiative to expand smart mobility. On the sidelines, Yun held summit talks with Japanese Prime Minister Fumio Kishida, marking their seventh one-on-one meeting. President Yun assessed their consultative dialogue has been restored to 100 percent as agreed in March. They agreed to strengthen three-way cooperation with the U.S. on security, especially regarding North Korea and in cutting-edge technologies. Along with President Joe Biden, the trio had a brief exchange before photo op. Mm-hmm. It also had an amicable exchange with Chinese President Xi Jinping. Now turning now to domestic news, the ruling People Power Party and the government announced a plan to bring an end to the dog meat industry by 2027. Can you tell us more? This comes on the heels of the main opposition Democratic Party's addition of a dog meat consumption ban plan to its party platform last week. As dog meat is one of South Korea's most controversial foods, on Friday the ruling People Power Party reached an agreement with the government to pursue the enactment of a special law within the year to shut the industry down. The plan would see the special law fully prohibit breeding, slaughter, and distribution of dogs for human consumption. It incorporates a three-year grace period as it would adversely impact dog meat-related businesses. There are currently around 1,150 farms, 34 slaughterhouses, 219 distribution companies, and 1,600 restaurants offering dog meat in Korea. The government will provide support to farms, slaughterhouses, distributors, and restaurants facing closures. And as our listeners are well aware, President Yun and the First Lady are also dearly loved their pet dogs. And it's been a contentious issue, not just at home, but also around the world. And hopefully we can finally see the end to the practice. Now, turning to other news, the government announced its intent to prepare countermeasures against shrinkflation as the quantity of products declines while prices remain the same. According to the vice, first vice finance minister, Kim Byung-hwan, an emergency vice ministerial meeting on Friday addressed that issue as the government acknowledged the trend is a grave concern that can undermine consumer confidence. Mm-hmm. The minister added that the government will conduct a survey of major daily necessities by the end of this month and establish a center to receive reports of such instances. He also announced detailed price measures, including reduced tariffs next year for various items, including dyes, raw silk, potatoes, and modified starch. Mm-hmm. Prosecutors are also seeking a five-year prison sentence and a 500 million won fine or some 380,000 US dollars for Samsung Electronics Executive Chairman Yi Jae-yong on charges of an unfair merger and accounting fraud. Now, what can you tell us? On Friday, during a final hearing at the Seoul Central District Court on the case involving a merger of two Samsung affiliates and fraud at Samsung Biologics, mm-hmm. the prosecution requested a sentence in light of E's denial, decision-making authority, and the accrual of actual profits. Mm-hmm. Referring to Everland con- convertible bond scandal, the state agency said Koreans already witnessed Samsung's evasion of taxes in managerial promotions and asserted the conglomerate has done it again. Mm-hmm. The prosecutor said a corporate structure that allows a controlling shareholder to pursue personal profits contributes greatly to lowering national competitiveness. In September 2020, E and others were indicted over allegations that Samsung management intentionally lowered the value of a group affiliate ahead of merger to help E in his corporate ascension. Mm-hmm. And in online, a chaos ensued as the government's one-stop civil service portal, Government24, came to a full stop on Friday, virtually halting the issuance of civil documents. Now, can you tell us more? 
Right. Major inconvenience for many in Korea at 2 p.m. Friday was tentatively suspending services due to a network malfunction of the National Information Resources Service. It added that measures will swiftly be taken to normalize services. The suspension came after the administrative computer network exclusively used by public officials suffered errors due to problems in user authentication at around 10 a.m. on Friday, prompting most local governments to delay or suspend issuance of official documents. And finally, Seoul saw the first snowfall of the season on Friday, 12 days earlier than last year. Can you tell us? Yes, the season's first snow was also detected in Incheon, Suwon and Pengyongdo Island, or Pengyong Island in Gyeonggi Province, mm-hmm. and in Hongsong, South Chungcheong Province as well. Compared to last year, Incheon, Pengyong Island and Hongsong saw the first snow 12 days earlier, while Suwon witnessed it 16 days earlier. Mm-hmm. More regions are also set to see their first snow on Friday, as clouds that form the in the central part of the Yellow Sea are moving eastward toward inland areas at 40 kilometers per hour. The inland regions of the Chungcheong provinces and North Jeolla province set to see large snowfall as well from the late afternoon. And uh, the day of the first snow in Seoul is declared upon detection by observatory in the Seoul Weather Station. And we'll wrap up our news briefing for today. Thank you, Daniel, for bringing up these updates. Thank you so much for having me. U.S. President Joe Biden and Chinese leader Xi Jinping met in person for the first time in a year on the sidelines of the Asia-Pacific Economic Cooperation Summit in California on Wednesday. Xi and Biden agreed to open a presidential hotline, resume military-to-military communications and curb fentanyl production. However, there are some major issues of contention between the two countries. To get some expert analysis on the results of the summit and what it means for Washington-Beijing ties going forward, we are joined on the line by Robert Kelly, Professor of Political Science at Busan National University. Hello, Professor Kelly. Hi, thank you for having me today. Uh, And how significant do you think uh, the summit was between uh, Biden and Xi? Yeah, I think the most important part was that communication lines between China and the United States remain open. Um, the the closest analogy, I think, to the emerging competition between China and the U.S. is between the Soviets and the Americans in the 1940s and 50s. And the U.S. and the, the Soviets didn't really talk very much. It's one of the things that helped lead to things like the, Cuba, uh, the, the uh, Korean conflict um, uh, tension over Taiwan and then the Cuban Missile Crisis. And so it's really good that we're not repeating the mistakes that we made 50 years ago, <laughs> right? I mean, it's a big, that's a big step, you know, and, and that's actually, I mean, that, that in itself is actually not bad. I mean, I, I realize that's actually more of like a performative or rhetorical outcome rather than a substantive one. I don't think anyone really thought there were going to be any pretty big substantive breakthroughs. Mm-hmm. Um, but the fact that they're still talking is helpful because it's sort of a useful way to sort of like prevent things, events from spinning out of control. It's, you know, it's possible, for example, in the South China Sea that like an American helicopter crashes into a Chinese plane or something like that. Mm-hmm. You know, when those things kind of happen, you know, inevitably these kinds of things happen. And when that does, if the two sides have communicated a little bit, it's less likely to spin out of control. And I think that's really what's, uh, that to me is the big takeaway. There's no real 
big substantive change. Mm-hmm. Uh, but obviously the two leaders each hope to gain something from the meeting. What do you think that was? Well, I think the Americans wanted to sort of I mostly just sort of proved that they were still actually talking to the Chinese, right? I mean, the, mm-hmm. I think the, the discourse in the United States has become really, really hawkish on China, really, really fast. Um, this uh, began under the Trump administration and um, went on into the Biden administration. I think there's this perception in the U.S. foreign policy community that this thing was sliding in a really, really negative direction really, really rapidly, and mm-hmm. Biden wanted to put the brakes on that, in part because it looks like China and the, the Russians are kind of getting in the bed together now, right? And people are talking mm-hmm. about the two of them working together, and it's getting worse. So um, I think that was really what the Americans wanted. I think what the Chinese wanted was some kind of commitment from the United States, which they didn't get, that the United States wouldn't intervene in things like Taiwan mm-hmm. and the South China Sea. And that's just the United States is just not going to do that. And I think that's why... Ultimately, even though it's great that they were talking, I mean, there's not actually that much substantive that came out of it. You know, okay, they're going to not do something or other on fentanyl. But, I mean, that's not really, you know, what we were looking for. But, I mean, I don't know. It's better than nothing. At least they're talking. That's the most (laughs) important thing, right? They're talking so that, you know, when things go wrong in the South China Sea, at least they got on the phone and talked to each other before they start shooting. I mean, that's the real that's the real advantage here. So what stood out to you the most, uh, other, other than the fact that they were actually back to talking? Um, I guess, the, yeah, that's, that's, um, that's actually kind of a good question. I mean, Chinese intransigence on, on Taiwan was not, was not unanticipated, but still, I, that's probably the most important substantive thing that was discussed, right? Mm-hmm. Because there, that's the potential for a real flashpoint, in part because Biden has drawn a, sharper American line around Taiwan than previous administrations have done. The United States has maintained for a long time towards Taiwan a policy that we used to call strategic ambiguity. And that was, you know, we're not going to sort of signal too much that we're tilting down to Taiwan because we don't want them to declare independence, but we're also not going to signal to China that we'll abandon Taiwan. And the idea was that that would keep both sides uncertain and no one would make a dangerous move. The Biden team, I think without a lot of consultation with Congress or any or U.S. allies, the Biden people have just been saying much more forthrightly that that we'll fight. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and this is something that the Chinese really – that's one of the reasons why the Chinese rhetoric has gotten sharper in the last couple of years is because the American rhetoric has. And uh, I think that was the – that was probably the most important substantive debate, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the uh, – uh, the other thing that we're kind of hoping to get out of China, and we didn't really get out of them, was rules of the road on the South China Sea, by which I mean that there's a lot of ambiguity down there about, like, what is owned by whom and who controls what, right? And so that's where you're getting a lot of these sort of like, misses, you know, where, like, a Chinese plane, like, buzzes by an American intelligence plane or something like that. And that is actually where it is most likely to, uh, an incident is most likely to spin out into a conflict. Because you know, Taiwan is kind of far away from China, there's like a big body of water between them. That creates mm-hmm. kind of sense of separation that both sides, both sides can see if they look on the map, right? In the South China Sea, it's much more tangly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you, that's mm-hmm. you know, if things, if we have a fight, that's where it's probably going to start. Sorry, Look, so know. that Go do on. you think the Taiwan issue is the biggest roadblock to the relationship yeah. between U.S. and China? Yeah, yeah, and that's emerged really under this administration. I mean, if Trump gets back in there, who knows, right? I mean, Trump doesn't like American allies. He's just going to give Taiwan away. I don't know. It scares me, but, I mean, I don't know. That's one option, I suppose.
<laughs> well, during the talks, Biden stressed the U.S. enduring commitment to complete denuclearization of the Korean Peninsula yeah. and maintaining <laughs> peace. Blah. Sure. Um, but it seemed that there was um, little to no uh, focus on uh, the coverage, the overall coverage uh, in the international media regarding the North Korean issue. Now, right. is the issue of North Korean aggression getting placed on the back burner? What with other major pending global matters? Yeah, I mean, the, the most important issue, I suppose, globally right now is probably the Ukraine war um, in terms of something that's actually hot and ongoing, right? And it's pretty clear that China is behind Russia on this and, and wants the Russians to win. And we've been signaling for them not to do that for a while. I mean, at least China is keeping the Russians from using a nuclear weapon in the war. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the big thing that they're doing. Um, but, uh, you know, but but so that's, I think, where a lot of American attention is. I mean, on you know, on Korea, I mean, the real issue is that the North Koreans aren't going to stop no matter what we say, right? I mean, the lesson of the last five to ten years is that no matter like, what we do, no matter what we throw at them, you know, Moon Jae-in says, Kim Jong-un is my friend, and let's talk, and, you know, maybe that'll get them to stop. That doesn't work. Then it's like, okay, then the Hawks are like, well, let's sanction North Korea, and that'll slow them down and slow them down a little bit. But, you know, I mean, it's, it's not really obvious that there's any big policy move on North Korea that could sort of fix the problem. And so even though it's important, right, I mean, North Korea launches, mm-hmm. that's terrible. We're all in a lot of trouble. But it's not obvious that there's any big move anybody can make. Not you, not Biden, not, not Xi. I mean, it's just the North Koreans just don't listen to anybody. <laughs> they just do whatever the hell they want. And that's part of the problem dealing with North Korea. They're very unresponsive to global norms. They mm-hmm. really are. And the Chinese could do more on this, right? The Chinese could enforce sanctions more. I mean, this is something your audience has almost certainly heard many times before. <laughs> South Koreans have asked for this. The Americans have asked for this. But, you know, with, with the general decline in U.S.-Chinese relations, the Chinese are not going to make any real sacrifices for mm. us on, on North Korea. It's too bad. I mean, it would be nice if we could find some kind of deal with China where we could sort of like fold in North Korean sanctions, enforcement, improvement on their part. And maybe we could do that for them in exchange for, for something else. But the conflicts between the U.S. and China are, to be honest, they're kind of zero sum. Mm-hmm. Right? We don't, we're not going to give away Taiwan. We're not going to, at least under Biden and Trump, I mean, it could be different. But, you know, we're not going to give away Taiwan. We're not going to give away Ukraine. We're not going to let the Russians roll through Ukraine in exchange for Chinese enforcement on North Korea. Mm-hmm. And so that's, I think that's why the, the, the summit just didn't return very much, because mm. neither side really – and there's just not that much room to move on a lot of these issues. Like, mm. like I said, the only place I think where there's real space to sort of a camera out of deal will be the South China Sea, because there the ambiguity is enough that creates some room for, for give and take. And how do you think the relations between the U.S. and China will pan out from here on out? Now, we should note that after such lengthy discussions, Biden said he hasn't really changed his view that she is effectively a yeah, dictator. Sure. So um, who, do, who do their latest talk, what do their latest talks mean for, for Washington Beijing ties going forward? Yeah, it's. Yeah, the talks are basically management of tension rather than tension resolution. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I said, I mean, that in itself is pretty good. Um, if it leads to some kind of detente in the next decade, that's not bad. It took the Americans and the Soviets 25 years to get detente. From 1945 until 1970, it was terrible. It was, you know, Cuba and Vietnam and Korea, right? I mean, at some point, though, both sides began to learn to live with each other. And but it took us a long time to do it with the Soviets. I mean, my sense is the Chinese are probably a, a decade or two away from, like, actually recognizing mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. they have to you know, some kind of like arrangement, some kind of duopoly with the United States. Right now, the Chinese are just pushing pretty hard and Biden is pushing back. And that's why, you know, the summit didn't really return a whole lot other than, I guess, fentanyl. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it's okay, but I mean, it's something, right? I mean, it's something to put on a piece of paper, so I guess it looks good. But um, 
But uh, again, the, the you know the, the real issue is sort of management, right? Sort of like if they can't agree on anything, that means they're going to have collisions in the South China Sea or whatever on Russia support and things like that, right? Mm-hmm. And at least they're talking. They can sort of like prevent collisions from leading to conflict, right? Mm-hmm. But they're not going to resolve the conflict. The Americans and the Chinese are just too far apart now. I mean, it's just it's it's, it's hard to see how U.S. and Chinese preferences over Taiwan, for example, mm-hmm. or Russia could be reconciled. Mm-hmm. I mean, I just don't see that so that's why biden's like yeah he's a dictator i mean because i mean what's he gonna say I mean, it's not i mean you know i mean he is i mean what's biden gonna do if he said he wasn't you know the whole american media would laugh at him so. of course of course <laughs> and with such gaping differences between the two countries what issues should south korea watch out for in the in the next uh, uh well few years sure yeah a, a couple things um one it would be great if China would come around on North Korea. They're probably not going to. But, you know, if, if Yoon could sort of dangle something or other in front of China to get China to take North Korea more seriously, that would be great. And the Americans would support that. I don't know if the Yoon administration has a mm-hmm. particularly great idea. But if they did, that'd be awesome. Um, that's the first thing. The second thing, uh, if uh, a conflict emerges between the U.S. and China over the South China Sea or Taiwan, I think South Koreans need to start thinking about what they would do. Um, the United States would expect South Korea as a treaty ally to participate in any kind of sustained conflict with China. If South Korea chose not to do that, it would blow up the South Korean-U.S. alliance. And I think that point is not discussed enough in South Korea, that South Korea is kind of at a decision fork with China and the U.S., right? If, if China, if, if South Korea chooses to sort of drop out of this and sort of say, okay, that's between the two of you, then, then you know, I think a lot of people in U.S. Congress can be like, why are we allied to South Korea? That's the second thing. Uh, and the last thing is... Um, uh, market access to uh, China, right? Um, the United States is increasingly nervous about Chinese corporate penetration of the United States. You know, Americans are freaking out about Chinese buying farmland and stuff like that. I think a lot of that is really exaggerated, but, you know, whatever, it's America, we're going to overreact. And I think, you know, South Korea, American allies are going to get swept up in that, right? There's going to be more and more of these kinds of tech restrictions. There's going to be more and more restrictions on Chinese banking, uh, purchases of corporations and things like that, Chinese um, listing on Wall Street, all this kind of stuff. This is all coming in the next decade or so, and that is going to impact South Korean firms, Japanese firms, other America, other U.S. allied firms that trade with China. We've already seen some of that debate in the IRA fight, the, the um, um, Inflation Reduction Act, and all this is going to come further along. South Korea exports a great deal of China, and that is going to become more and more strategically upsetting to the Americans as the relationship with China gets worse. Mm-hmm. So there's going to be more and more pressure on South Korea to decouple from China and put its investment elsewhere. And you already hear that anyway. Right? I mean, South Korea is already kind of like getting economic pressure from China because South Korea needs market right. And so I think that debate's already happening in China. Right? I mean, South Korean conservatives, you know, hawks, I think already want to do what the Americans are encouraging, which is send South Korean investment elsewhere because they feel like the Chinese are using that mm-hmm. as leverage against me, like on, on FAD. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you, Dr. Kelly, for uh, joining us. And that was uh, Professor Robert Kelly, a professor of political science at Busan National University. Welcome to the Korea 24 Stock and Forex Update. The benchmark Korea Composite Stock Price Index shed 18.33 points, or 0.74% on Friday, to close the week at 2,469.85. The tech-heavy Kosdaq also fell, slipping 12.05 points, or 1.49%, to close at 799.06. On the foreign exchange, the local currency closed the day at 1,296.91, the same as Thursday. 
You can check Korean stock and forex closings at world.kbs.co.kr. Next up, we have our daily segment, Korea Trending, where we check out uh, keywords and issues that are trending online in South Korea. And we have Diane Yu in the studio to introduce them to us. Hello, Diane. Hello, Hyejin. It's good to see you. Good to see you, too. Now, let's start off with the first story. Needless to say, sleep is essential for our health. With a good night's sleep, we can function better, both physically and mentally, the next day. There's a reason why the Dalai Lama once said, sleep is the best meditation. However, unfortunately, the number of people who are tossing and turning in their sleep has been on the rise. According to the National Health Insurance Corporation's analysis of medical treatment data from 2018 to last year, the number of patients receiving treatment for sleep disorders increased by 28.5% from 855,000 in 2018 to over 1 million last year. Yes, uh, I know that there's been a really big craze hunting for the best beds and pillows yeah. in the uh, past year. Right. So uh, how now the sleep disorder is rather an umbrella term. Mm-hmm. Uh, what kind of symptoms uh, does the term entail? It involves any problems with the quality, timing, and amount of sleep, which result in daytime distress and impairment in functioning. The term refers not only to insomnia, but also other various sleep-related re- diseases, such as snoring and sleep apnea, parasomnia, and hypersomnia. Uh, yes, I have had uh, people who are suffering from insomnia, mm. uh, hun- uh, going through white noise, any kind of yeah. uh, uh, solution that they can come up with. Mm. And I believe the analysis showed that there's a particular demographic that's suffering from those disorders the most. That's right. When looking at patients by age, those in their 60s accounted for the most at 23%, followed by those in their 50s and 70s. The reason there are so many people in their 60s with such disorders is largely due to physical and mental changes, such as aging and rapid changes uh, in their daily lives. In particular, it has been shown that as people approach their 60s, the time it takes for them to fall asleep increases, and the number of times they wake up during sleep increases as well, leading to a decrease in overall sleep duration. Now, we talked uh, slightly about the possible solutions, but what are some of the ways to beat these issues and finally get a good night's sleep? Well, the first way to prevent such disorders is to have the habit of going to bed and waking up at regular times. (laughs) Napping, (laughs) Napping is not good, and you should also refrain from watching TV or using smartphones before going to sleep. Ouch! Even though it might be hard for you, right? (laughs) Of course. Yes. Additionally, health experts advise that alcohol, cigarettes, and caffeine should all be avoided if you have sleep disorders as they all interfere with sleep. I understand that. Now we'll try, Mm. let's say. Uh, And now on to the second story of the day. Many in Korea are reading about a surprising discovery that was made near Hapjong Station in Seoul's Mapo District on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. A resident living in an apartment on the 15th floor got the shock of their life when they found a bat hanging on one of their windows. Wow. No, it must have been a shock because bats are not often seen in the capital city. Yeah, I can also understand why the resident was worried about spotting one because bats are known to often serve as intermediate hosts for zoonotic diseases. Mm-hmm. A zoonotic disease is a disease or infection that can be transmitted naturally from vertebrate animals to humans or the other way around. Mm-hmm. Studies say that severe acute respiratory 
Asperger's syndrome, or SARS, which swept through China in 2003, was spread from bats to humans via civet cats. Studies also say that Middle East Respiratory Syndrome, or MERS, spread from bats to humans via camel in 2015. Mm-hmm. The World Health Organization believes that COVID-19, which led to a global pandemic, also likely originated in bats and spread to humans through an intermediate host. Yeah, of course, and uh, but we have to remember that experts are saying that you don't really have to worry about getting infected. That's correct. According to Dr. Kim Sun-suk of the National Institute of Ecology, bats live in all sorts of places, so we might come across them from time to time. All we have to remember is to never touch them. Mm -hmm. If you're not bitten, the chance of infection is very low, and you do not get sick just by accidentally brushing against the host. However, Dr. Kim advised that you should report bat discoveries to the Wildlife Rescue and Management Center in your area. Good to remember. Mm -hmm. And Moving on to the final story of the day, what do we have for us? On Thursday, Korea faced Singapore in their first World Cup Asian Qualifiers Group C game at the Seoul World Cup Stadium. It was an exciting spectacle for Korean fans as the Taegook Warriors dominated, netting five goals past the keeper. And after the game, it wasn't just the press who were waiting for the South Korean footballers. The Singapore players, including naturalized football players Hong Young, also did not leave, but gathered around the press area and stood there for a while. <laughs> and uh, and uh, South Korea beat Singapore 5-0 in Thursday's game, but the bitterness from mm. that defeat did not stop them from wanting to meet the uh, Korean players. Exactly, seems. exactly. When famous Korean football players who were active in Europe, such as Hwang Hee-chan, Kim Min-jae, and Son Heung-min, wow. came out of the locker room, the Singaporean players asked them to exchange uniforms and take pictures. <laughs> One Singaporean player who waited for Kim Min-jae and succeeded in exchanging uniforms and taking a photo could be seen smiling from year to year. Understandably. Understandable, of course. <laughs> and Song Young, a naturalized Singaporean player who was born and raised in Incheon, also took a photo with Son Heung-min and said to Hwang Hee-chan that it was an honor to play together. Uh, this is definitely the kind of a start of the second round of the World Cup Asian qualifiers that Jürgen Klinsmann would have hoped for. Mm-hmm. And the Taggart Warriors hardly put a foot wrong this time. Right. As we said, Korea grabbed five goals, but it could have been more if it wasn't for an offside call and some great saves made by the Singaporean keeper. It took a little while to get the first goal, which was scored by Cho Gyu-sung just before halftime. But, at the se- but in the second half, the other four came flooding in. Mm-hmm. Hwang Hee-chan, Son Heung-min, and Hwang Hee-jo and Lee Gang-in added goals in their tallies in the 49th, 63rd, 68th, and 85th minute, respectively. And let's hope that the Tiger Warriors can put on another strong display in other uh, qualifier games against China next Tuesday. And that's all what we have time for today's uh, career trending. So thanks for joining us, Diane. Thank you. See you next time. Next up, we have Movie Spotlight, where we discuss some of the latest releases on streaming services or at the local box office. This week, we have Jason Bershevez and Darcy Paquet joining us in the studio. Hello, Jason. 
Hello, it's great to be here. And hello, Darcy. Hi, Hello. Now, late autumn is a season when a large number of Korean independent films are typically released in theatres, and this November is no exception, with more than a dozen features currently screening. Now, today, our two film critics will be highlighting two of those recent releases, both from female directors. The first is Birth, Nae Pitusongi Yoinin. Uh, uh, and the second feature from director Yu Ji Young. And Jason, can you uh, first tell us about that? Yeah, sure. Uh, this uh, film originally premiered at the uh, Busan Film Festival last year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does take a little while for these films to kind <laughs> of uh, get uh, theatrically uh, released. And uh, yeah, actually won uh, the Grand Prix in the Proximate Competition section at the Kalavari Film Festival. Uh, and yeah, it was released uh, in theatres finally uh, on Wednesday this week. And it centres on the this married couple. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, we have this promising novelist. Uh, and uh, she's... Uh, yeah, I mean, she basically gets pregnant. And uh, her boyfriend's working at uh, this kind of Hagwon private language institute. And it basically turns their lives upside down. Because this is not mm-hmm. something they've been preparing for. Mm-hmm. Uh, and... Uh, the novelist really struggles with with what to do because uh, she she's got a promising career and she wants to follow that, but she's she becomes pregnant and uh, so yeah that that puts a lot of uh, strain on their their relationship. So uh, it stars uh, Han Hehin and Lee Han Ju. Mm-hmm. And Darcy, what are some of the ways that the characters struggle with this, these changes in their lives, and what does the film seem to be uh, portraying and say? Yeah, I mean, it, the film shows really well just kind of how this um, this twist, <laughs> big twist, <laughs> you know, ends up affecting all the different aspects of their lives. And, you know, each of them have these kind of wishes and goals for the future. Uh, I think the two characters are somewhat different. And we can see that from the very beginning. Like, I like the opening scene, which is just the two of them sitting, talking over breakfast. Uh, and, you know, you can feel from the opening scene that they're close, but also that they're they're different they have different perspectives and mm-hmm. and the thing is you know for as long as they are uh kind of single and without child they their relationship is flexible enough to kind of handle their differences but then uh you know when she does get pregnant and uh they're looking ahead to a very different kind of future then i think that um it's no longer as easy to kind of accommodate their differences and mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm having a child involves so many compromises of Mm -hmm. everything in your life. It just, you know, it turns your life completely upside down. Mm -hmm. And so the film, you know, shows both, um, you know, what kinds of pressures they come under, what kind of risks both of them come under and the different stresses. So, um, yeah, it's a, it's a simple story in one sense, but it's complicated in the way that it kind of shows us in detail. Uh, how their lives change. Mm-hmm. And Jason, the running time for this film is quite long, at two hours, 35 minutes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> why do you think the director decided to make the film uh, so lengthy? That's a good question. I, I wasn't so keen on this film uh, as, as others were at, at Busan. It was a film that I think stood out for, for many. Um, I mean, it does... I mean, it, yeah, it is long. Uh, <laughs> and there are these kind of long scenes that... I think it'd be a lot shorter. 
and sometimes you know independent filmmakers like to make us suffer because <laughs> uh, totally it is a pretty depressing film uh, although there are these rather dramatic moments mm-hmm. uh, especially at the end of the movie mm-hmm. where it kind of goes a little bit crazy and um, it veers off into this kind of extreme territory that so often independent <laughs> films do uh, but I think yeah, it does deal with how, particularly like in Korea, for, for women, you know, if they, they have a child, they get pregnant, have a child, it's very difficult for them to kind of uh, continue uh, embarking on their careers. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is something this this protagonist really struggles with because she's kind of, she, she's she's got, yeah, she's pregnant and she kind of feels almost selfish for having these thoughts whereby she she wants to be a successful novelist. She doesn't mm-hmm. want to be pregnant. She doesn't want to have this child. So uh, I think it really tackles that, you know, quite well. Um, but yeah, it, it did make me suffer. And uh, <laughs> uh, two, two hours, well over two hours. Yeah, two hours, 35 minutes was, was a bit much. And uh, yeah, th- th- there's a, a somewhat, as I, as I mentioned, uh, a scene that will live in my memory for quite a while towards the end of the film. Well, where, we'll have her, to check up on her that. Her boyfriend one. kind of um, uh, he, loses he, he completely loses it, yeah, <laughs> in, in this uh, private academy <laughs> that he works at. Oh dear, oh dear. And Darcy, what's your take on this? Yeah, I mean, I had a similar response to that scene, and I, I also sort of wish that that had been resolved a bit differently. <laughs> um, but. But I mean, on the whole, I did like the film. It is yeah. it is quite heavy. You know, it's it's ambitious. Uh, this is the second feature from the director, mm-hmm. and you know, her debut feature was called Ducktown, and it's from about five years ago. And you know, this one, you can just feel that she is, you know, working with kind of a wider canvas, and she's trying to, uh, yeah, I mean, really tackle a lot of different things within the film. Um, you know, I I watched it. A second time this week and i think that um you know in some ways this is a film that i mean despite its length you normally wouldn't say that about a very long film but it, it feels kind of more comfortable the second mm-hmm. time through and you can focus a bit more on the details i think because it does really take its time and like her directing style is such that it uh it does kind of draw things out somewhat slowly but um there is a great performance particularly by the lead actress Han mm-hmm. Hain, who's always amazing but um yeah, to me, she was a real highlight. Yeah, she's pretty intense. Mm. <laughs> and overall, would you recommend it? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's interesting what Darcy said. I mean, perhaps I would watch, I prefer it a second time, although I'm not sure I want to sit down and watch it again. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it, certainly in terms of the, in terms of the themes, uh, definitely recommend it. In term, yeah, because of you know the the topic that it's it's tackling, I think is is, is certainly. Uh, relevant and uh, in today's society so yeah I do recommend it and Darcy yeah I mean if you don't mind something kind of heavy then it gives you a lot to think about Mm, great Um, and uh, moving on to our second film this week uh, it's also about uh, an up-and-coming female uh, it's from an up-and-coming female director uh, Flowers of Mode uh, is based on a short story of the writer uh, Ha Songnan and it's directed by Shim Hae-jung. Darcy, can you give us an introduction to that film? Yes. Uh, it's a story of this young woman named Jisoo who lives alone. And she has this disturbing hobby whereby... Very uh, disturbing. <laughs> <yes>. <laughs> I mean, she lives in this old apartment complex. And late at night, she kind of sneaks down to the trash bins and carries home several bags of trash. And then, uh, you know, goes through it 
in her home and by kind of sorting through and carefully cataloging the contents of all of these bags of trash she comes to gain quite intimate knowledge about all the people living in her area mm-hmm. like in this complex mm-hmm. uh, and we're not really sure why she's doing this exactly but uh, one day she's particularly struck by the the trash left by her new next door neighbor uh, this young man who just moved in uh, you know it's exceptionally neat and organized like the the tea bags are all kind of dried and tied together ah. <laughs> and and so she starts to develop this fascination for him and given the fact that she has some inside knowledge of his tastes and what kind of person he is, she decides to use this information to approach him. And and as you mentioned, uh, Jason, this doesn't sound like the <laughs> act of an, uh, an actual hero in a movie. Um, oh. <laughs> how would you describe the tone of the film? And, and what do you think is the genre of this film? Uh, yeah, it's a good question. Um, you're kind of not really sure where the film's going because, yeah, at the beginning of the film, as Darcy mentioned, she's kind of going through trash. Um, and it's just really bizarre. And I was just like, what, what is this? And I, Korean, I mean, apartments play this really interesting role in, in Korean films. I, I recently did a talk on Barking Dogs Never Bite and you have this, like, again, this old apartment complex. And it's such a, a place that I think many people can identify with here because a lot of people do, of course, live in apartments. And you, you're kind of almost like living together, right? You're obviously in different apartments, but you you see each other very often. And so it is, it is creepy. You've got this, uh, this individual who's just, yeah, going through trash and basically uh, <laughs> trying to work out, you know, the people that she, well, the people who live around her. Um, but yeah, as, as uh, the film progresses, we, we, get to, we begin to understand a little bit more about her. And it, it's part of... Um, I think a body of work, there's a loan as well, which focuses mm. on this uh, this female character who works in a call centre. And again, she's just very kind of almost, de- yeah, she's depressed. She's, and uh, I think it's, it's interesting in terms of, you know, the way it kind of uh, follows these, both films actually, the way they follow both, you know, both the characters and what... You, and, and the issues they're facing. And sometimes it's not clear, you know, it's not really clear. We're not certainly at the beginning of the film, but even as it progresses. Uh, and, you know, I think performances are, are so important. That's very true here. So, um, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting film. I can't say that I I was particularly keen on it, but <laughs> but totally it's, it's an interesting film. Um, and... Uh, yeah, I, I, I'll never see. Yeah, looking at trash again. You know, <laughs> this film, this film uh, does, does kind of uh, uh, leave a somewhat strange impression on you. And and it's an atypical plot line, as yeah, you yeah. mentioned. And and um, tell us a bit more about uh, the director Shim Hye-jung and how she presents uh, this film. Yeah, I mean, she. This is her second film again. She premiered. Uh, with a film called A Bed Sore mm. uh, in 2019. And that was a very different kind of film. It's about this family uh, dealing with a grandmother's illness and they have kind of a, a live-in caretaker and, um, you know, in the process of <laughs> dealing with this illness, like all these tensions come out among the family members. So it's very, uh, yeah, these strong emotions within this tightly controlled setting. And... You know, this film, it it feels a bit more glossy on the surface. It has, you know, it feels at times, again, like a like a genre film. And, you know, I, I was kind of thinking it might turn into a thriller. 
uh, that someone would pull out a knife and people would start <laughs> getting killed because it has a bit of that tone, um, but then it ultimately takes a different direction. And so, um, yeah, it's unique. Uh, the This film hasn't had as much of a festival career as her first film. Like her first film screened at a number of different film festivals around the world and won some awards in France. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this film, it premiered at the Chanju Film Festival this year. Uh, it screened at the London Korean Film Festival earlier this month. Uh-huh. Um, and yeah, so it hasn't got quite as much attention, but, uh, yeah, personally, I'm a fan. Would you recommend it? Uh, yes, <laughs> yes and no. Yes and no. Uh, it's certainly shorter than the other film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's actually pretty well shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, didn't like the editing so much, but in terms of, you know, the framing, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's really what quite well polished. So, yeah. And Darcy? Yeah, I think I would. Uh, for people who are looking for something different. And, mm-hmm. um, I mean, it does feel like it kind of represents kind of contemporary life in the sense that yeah. uh, she's very isolated, mm-hmm. despite the fact that she's living among, you know, in such close proximity to so many other people. And, you know, through this hobby of her, she gets to know about the other people, but uh, but she's still extremely isolated. And I think that, you know, that's kind of an interesting take on kind of contemporary life, I guess. And that is uh, our movie spotlight of the week. Thank you for bringing us those uh, wonderful movies. Um, Thank you, uh, Darcy. Thank you, Jason. And we'll see you next week. Yeah, Yeah. take care. Yeah, have a great weekend. I am pianist Park Jae-hong. You are now listening to Korea 24 on KBS World Radio. time for our last segment of the week next week from Seoul where we take a look at some of the news stories we're expecting in the week ahead and we have our staff editor Richard Larkin joining us in the studio to run them with us Uh, welcome Richard hello and what's the first thing that we should look out for? So President Yoon suk Yeol, accompanied by First Lady Kim kun will pay a state visit to the UK next week. They will be in the UK from Monday to Thursday, and the official website of the royal family has released all the details of what they will be doing during those four days. Let me go through a couple of the notable events. Yes, please. On Tuesday, Yoon and the First Lady will meet the King and Queen for a private lunch at Buckingham Palace. They will then take part in a wreath-laying ceremony at the Korean War Memorial to mark the 70th anniversary of the end of the war. Later that day, they will have a they will attend a state banquet at the palace, and the king and Yoon will both make speeches. And then on Wednesday, I understand the president will attend multiple business and science discussions. Exactly, yes. Yoon will attend the Shaping the Future UK Korea Business Forum, which will also be attended by CEOs and business representatives from both countries. At the forum, participants will discuss creating more business opportunities. Mm-hmm. Then a roundtable discussion with the Duchess of Edinburgh, a notable UK and Korean scientific minds will take place where they will discuss using science to advance humanity. And finally, on Wednesday, the President and the First Lady will travel to Number 10 Downing Street and Yoon will have a bilateral meeting with the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, before jetting off to Paris on Thursday where he will promote South Korea's bid to host the 2030 World Cup Expo in 
Busan. Of course. And turning back home, we have some not so welcome news, which is yet another subway strike. Now, right. what, you, what can you tell us? Yeah, so last week it was discussed on the show that unionized workers of the Seoul Metro went on a two day strike. Mm-hmm. Well, next week, a second round of strikes is expected to start Wednesday, and this time it will be an indefinite general strike. <sighs> To remind our listeners why the strikes are taking place, it's over the Seoul Metro's plan to cut over 2,000 jobs, which is around 13% of its workforce by 2026. Mm-hmm. A substantial deficit is cited as the reason for the cuts. Mm-hmm. Seoul Metro, on its part, has said downsizing is inevitable to normalise uh, management, and it currently has a cumulative deficit of 18.4 trillion won, so that's 14 billion US dollars. The Korean Confederation of Trade Unions, however, claim that the cuts could lead to safety issues. Also, during negotiations between the Transit Corporation and the Labour Union, both parties couldn't agree on how many new recruits should be hired in the second half of this year. So, for those looking to take the subway in Seoul next week, it might be worth looking at other ways to travel around the city. Well, carpooling is another option. <laughs> well, and what's the last thing we should uh, keep an eye out for next week? Well, this year's League of Legends World Championship Finals will be held in Seoul's Gochuk Sky Dome on Sunday. Korea's T1 and the Chinese team Weibo Gaming will battle it out in a single best-of-five match in front of a sold-out 18,000-seat stadium. K-pop girl group New Jeans is set to perform at the opening ceremony before the game starts at 5pm Korea time. For those who couldn't get tickets, don't worry, the finals will be streamed online. And for those who live in Korea, you can head to Seoul's Gwangamun Square to take part in activities and watch the game. And thank you for bringing us those news and we'll see you next week. See you next week. Well, this brings us to the end of today's edition of Korea 24. I've been your host, Kuhijin, filling in for Kwon jang who will be back next week on Monday. Thank you and have a great weekend. Don't even think about checking that message or texting back. Did you know it only takes three seconds after a driver's attention has been diverted from the road for a crash to occur? Texting while driving is six times more likely to cause an accident than driving under the influence of alcohol. Sending or reading a text message causes drivers, on average, to take their eyes off the road for five seconds. When driving at 80 km per hour, that means that drivers travel approximately the length of a football field with their eyes closed. At KBS World Radio, we value our listeners' safety and well-being. If you're listening to our programs while driving via your mobile device, please hit play before you set off on your journey. If you receive a message or a call while driving, either use a hands-free Bluetooth device to respond or wait until you've arrived at your destination. You're not just putting your life at risk. Distracted driving accounts for approximately 25% of all motor vehicle crash fatalities. Arrive alive. KBS World Radio.